passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, December 4th. 2022 and today on the program we have uh the wb co-ceo's talk at the wells fargo technology media and telecom conference the summit we'll go over we talked about some of it on thursday but we'll talk about some more of it in depth and especially in relation to morgan stanley's research where they experiment with the idea of how does fox value smackdown which i think could be extrapolated onto some other wrestling properties as well. Um, I think that's that's most of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but first, we we have to uh, lead here with with the big news that came down on Thursday: uh, Bills versus Patriots live on Amazon, also available on local broadcasters in those respective hometown regions. Twenty four to ten, um, I believe. Uh, one of the Boston's uh, uh, newspapers called this a steamrolling, a steamrolling uh, of the Patriots by the Bills. Wow, the Patriots are only six and six now. That's unfortunate. Bills though moved to nine and three. Um, great job by the Bills. Great job by the crossbar blocking that field goal. Um, there, there's a there's an image for people watching on YouTube. Here's an image of, of Josh Allen celebrating. Here's an image of Bill Belichick wearing what what can only be described as a, I think as a raincoat. What would you call this? <laughs> um, a Darth Vader Bill, cape. <laughs> here's Bill, Bill Belichick. Bill, Bill Belichick looked very cold throughout the night. Uh, a lot of sympathy for Bill Belichick. Uh, I feel bad for him. Uh, some, somebody needs to hug him and uh, warm him up. I think he just did not look like a happy camper here. Uh, here here he is reluctantly congratulating uh, Sean McDermott. 
Yeah, he's wearing a lot of different outfits in these photos. Yeah. He's putting on a shedding, putting on a lot of different layers and shedding a lot of different layers. He's putting on a warm weather fashion show. I think. Uh, I think there should. Be. I think. I think that's a that's a a pivot opportunity for him. Is that maybe you know he's he's so known for the hoodie. Am I wrong? He's he's known for the hoodie. Um, I think he could come yep. up with his own own line of warm cut off gear. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, think I think he's he's scaled back hoodie usage. Over the years, mm. if you see him in the hoodie now, it's kind of like a rare opportunity. It's like, oh, it's, it's like a wear, when, when you wear a throwback uniform. Yes. I, I will say this. I will give Patriot fans uh, credit. They try to find positives in everything. Later that night on Twitter, I saw a bunch of Patriot fans going, hey, Tom Brady can come back next year to finish his career. And it's like they just spin it into something positive. They're like, yeah, yeah. They were starting the rumor that Tom Brady might come back next year. But there's a seat between Bilicek and, and Brady, right? No, they met for they met for twenty minutes when Brady yeah. came back to New England last year. For that was twenty a big minutes, story. they just stare at each other. Yes, because the whole point of Brady going to, to Tampa, he wants to prove that he can do it without Belichick. It and he Belichick. did. It was him. What did he? He yeah. went to the Super Bowl and he lost, right? No, he won. Mm, they he won the Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl. Yeah. No, that's not. That's not fair. I'm sure I complained about it on Twitter at the time. I just don't remember. <laughs> um, but if you want to participate today and you want to put in a question or a comment uh, and have us read it and respond to it, feel free to submit a super chat if you're watching today live on YouTube, which you can watch every every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern every Sunday. Um, I realized this past uh, week that Christmas Day and New Year's Day are both Sundays. So I think we'll be doing some sort of uh, pre-prepared program for those days, at least Christmas Day. Um, I do not expect uh, Chris Gull and Jesse Collins to spend Christmas morning with me at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, you want to do a Christmas special? Do you have any ideas? What would a Christmas special consist of? Um, us wearing Santa hats. Um, I'm already in the holiday spirit. Yeah, Gull is already there. He's doing this outside his house, which you can see decorated. Yes. He's, he's, on <laughs> yes. His, he's across the street, I think. He's on his neighbor's lawn. <laughs> Um, it's still dark yes. there too. He's in a different time zone. Yes. Though, yes. Yes. Speaking of uh, of Christmas, Christmas specials, maybe we could, we could invite Jolly Old Saint Nick on the program, uh, and, and things of that nature. But anyway, uh, should we? Uh, I guess we'll get started here. Um, the uh, the Wells Fargo talk. We have to go through these Bills pictures again. The Wells Fargo talk, which was on Wednesday. We talked a little bit about it on Thursday, but I want to touch on the the international promotion talk and and the, the TV rights valuation stuff. So um, let's let's just go right to, to Stephanie's comments where she's being asked question by Stephen Cahal, perhaps the only equity analyst who is um, well, I don't know about that at this point, but who who has long said that W is overpriced as a stock, and here's. Here's that interaction. And Stephanie, I think on the call you also mentioned some tuck-in acquisitions. Can you give us a little more color on how you're thinking about those for WWE? Absolutely. So whether that's, just to give some examples of what I meant by that, it has to align with our, our core capabilities, right? So um, whether that's smaller wrestling promotions, say internationally, um, or it's another bigger opportunity around a business that is, um, you know, kind of all over the place, akin to boxing. Right. What are the 
um, you know, wh who's the lineal champion? Who's the, the WBC champion? Who's the this? It's kind of, it's all over the place. And that's where professional wrestling was some 40 years ago. And my father, Vince McMahon, who was the, the chairman and CEO, obviously had the opportunity to roll up all of those different territories and create one major brand in WWE that has now gone from a, a regional territorial, um, you know, content play to a global media franchise. And, and how can we then replicate that in other areas with, with boxing being an idea of one of them? So she's talking about boxing there quite a bit. I mean, the, the, the part where we're going to focus on probably most mostly here is really only that first sentence or so that she says about perhaps smaller international promotions. Um, but there's more talk in here that we're not going to listen to today about boxing from Nikon to even horse racing, which I'm confused. I'm conflicted about whether Nikon was just using horse racing as an example of a sport that was more popular decades ago or whether they have realistic interest in, in horse racing, but definitely they, they, they have interest in boxing um, with Stephanie making the point that, Hey, look, boxing, you don't know who the champion is and boxers aren't as big as stars as they used to be. And there's titles all over the place. Maybe they could do something about AEW in that regard. Probably not, but there's, um, there's a lot of different boxing titles and maybe they could uh, roll them all up. Um, maybe um, I, I imagine that, uh, this makes sense, and maybe there's connections in in, in the Nikon management team with uh, various boxers and things like that. Um, so if there's nothing else to add on that. We'll we'll jump right into what wrestling promotions could she possibly have been talking about? Um, GCW, we we know we know apparently Stephanie McMahon and, and Brett Lauderdale are friends. Um, I did look. W did acquire evolve um yep. in 2020 uh that you could find reporting on that in 2020 from pw insider um they don't own they apparently don't own progress they apparently don't own wxw but they apparently have relationships with those two companies uh, in, in the uk and in germany um gcw you could say is an international company they, they just went to japan and mexico they and the UK? Lucha. And the UK. They're, I think they're going to Australia, too. Are they? Eventually, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I found interesting about these comments, um, both from Stephanie and from Nick Khan that you went over, is they seem kind of um, against what Nick Khan has hinted at as far as kind of what he views the WWE business model as, which is focusing mainly on WWE as an entity and television rights and getting paid for producing that content, not really investing in other aspects of business um, and like looking to expand like the whole, the idea of like NXT, you know, NXT India, NXT Japan, NXT Latin America, NXT Middle East, like that whole concept seems totally against what Nick Khan would be about which would which is just you know investing and spending all this money on these things with no guaranteed return with the idea of increasing WWE's international footprint in markets that are already pretty domestically saturated um as opposed to expanding into new markets which I could see as more likely expanding into India and China 
you can. Um, it just seems like like this is not what Nick Khan talks about during the investor calls, which is very much focused on how can we get paid for the content that we're producing? How can we get paid for the things that we're already doing? And how can we leverage that to get more money from our media partners? And it seems kind of like um, the opposite of that, which would be let's spend money not only purchasing or, or another wrestling company in another country, but like running that wrestling company and trying to what make grow. Why wouldn't grow WWE's brand, but using another wrestling company as a, as a launching point. It just doesn't seem to, to me at least doesn't seem to make sense with the way that Nick Khan has kind of run WWE and the way he's discussed it uh, about it in other capacities. I think so so this this all goes back to the the 2018 business partner summit which was WrestleMania weekend that year where Triple H comes out on the stage and stands in front of a, a, a map of the world and there's NXT logos on different continents in the world and that they're going to do global localization which Stephanie McMahon made into a portmanteau on this talk calling it global so um I guess it it just depends. So there's there's no clarity here about what regions they have in mind. I I, I would like to experiment with Japan and Mexico uh, to yeah. think about what what companies they're 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 talking about. Um, I guess they would want you know the, they I think they see India as, as an opportunity. Maybe they see China. It's not really strong wrestling presence in those countries though. Um, but I I think this is sort of a it's 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 a it's a result of whose return to power here, and I think you know Triple H is, is was minimized in this company, and he had his health issues, and it's hard to parse what what lack of influence that Triple H had for a while was because of maybe actual political maneuvering, or maybe losing favor with Vince, or and and what was just just related to his his heart problems. Um, it's hard for me to 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 know like well, what really was purely Nick's vision and what was him you know doing doing mainly what Vince wanted and he's out of the picture now. Um, I did get the sense, or I guess I will speculate that what what Stephanie mentions there in the brief uh, in the brief segment that she does about international wrestling companies. I think it's it's important to note that she she mentions that Nick does not. And I, I, my feeling is that that's a, it's very much a Triple H idea. Um, Can I take a Nick Khan spin on it, if you will? Like, so let me ask you this. And I think you've mentioned that the WWE TV deal in Japan is not great. There is no WWE TV deal. I think they, okay. well, they have, they're on Samurai TV. They used to be on DAZN, but okay. I think they have, in, in essence, they have very little TV presence in Japan. And I don't know their deal in Mexico, but I'm assuming that CMLL and AAA Fox have a better deal. I think they have uh, okay. Latin America, including Mexico. But probably not as good as the deals that AAA has and CMLL has. And, for example, that in Japan, like, I, I mean, I, obviously, we don't really know those numbers, but I'm, that could be a factor, you know, to get better TV in those areas. How much media revenue is AAA and, and CMLL, are AAA and CMLL? generating i don't know um, there's also so what is wwe's business model how does wwe make money right now media video right to a very small extent ticket sales right big deals with and nbc universal and fox and and this kingdom of saudi arabia for 
putting on events, um, peacock deal, all that stuff like that. While Japan is a country with a large wrestling fan base and a long history of professional wrestling, that is not how New Japan Pro Wrestling or any other Japanese pro wrestling company makes money. They don't make money based off of having big TV deals in Japan. They make it off of live events, attendance, and merchandise. Um, and so that would be – this again would be something like WWE can – even if they were, say, let's say WWE buys all Japan pro wrestling uh, and spends a lot of money and maybe signs some big Japanese names. Maybe they ship some some big Japanese names that they own back to Japan for special shows and things like that. Let's just say hypothetically they do that. Even if they were to bring business in all Japan up a significant margin, they're still not really making the kind of revenue that – they may be that, that, that they would even come close to in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to get paid for television there unless they have some sort of just meteoric rise. And so it doesn't really fit. I'm not as knowledgeable about the Mexican television deals, but I assume Mexican companies are still making a majority of the revenue off of live attendance. Um, it's, it's very different business model. Even the big companies like new Japan, are not raking it in off of media rights. And so that is another factor that makes me question, like, why would they want to get involved uh, there? I could see it in a country like India, where their Indian, the WWE main rosters, you know, media deal in India is, is fairly lucrative. I think it's their second biggest, right? Yes. yes. So that makes, that it's makes like some 50, just to throw some numbers, $50 million average annual value is what I believe their, yeah. their deals in India. So, with so that makes more sense. But to purchase a Japanese company um, during, oh, by the way, a terrible time to get into the Japanese pro wrestling market. It's ice cold um, coming out of the pandemic, and there's some other factors that go involved that are involved with that. Um, it just it doesn't seem to make any sense with their business model to to get more involved in this. And the whole look, they can't even make NXT in the United States profitable. So we're going to go to investors and we're going to talk about, oh, we're going to spend all this money opening up regional NXT hubs where we can't even get the United States one to in the black. And now we're going to have all in in these other countries that are going to be much more difficult to turn revenue around. Um, for what? To, 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 to expand into those companies? It's going to take forever to build up the NXT version of your company to even surpass the main roster's appeal in those countries. Um it just seems like a waste of money in a money pit and it would be something that WWE wouldn't want to do and something that would not excite me if I was an investor. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point to raise that it's, it's WWE making money off of media, which is the the vast majority of their revenue. And, and maybe we're just, maybe I'm just going down the wrong road here in, in terms of thinking about Japan and Mexico. Um, but yeah, it, it's these, these are large, still largely live event driven businesses at least I, i'm sure japan is and i would expect mexico is too um i brought up europe uh, on thursday because they're doing nxt europe maybe they're just trying to gobble up all those promotions there to do that like wxw and others and so they closed nxt uk and just announced nxt europe and then since then have we gotten any information on nxt nothing, europe nothing. and dave Meltzer at least when they closed NXT UK, he said in kind of very typical Dave speak that like 
NXT Europe is like one of these things that like is being talked about, but I'll believe it exists when it happens. Um, yeah, I, I don't expect it to happen until late next year. If that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, if this if this is Triple H's ambition, it would be a good example of how much power he has in the company to to want to get that started. Um, if you were an invest, like like, can you? Brandon, you're an expert at playing devil's advocate. Can you can you sell? Me, I'm an investor. Sell me on the idea of all of these NXT hubs. Why should I be excited that WWE is going to spend a lot of money starting up all of these NXT hubs? I guess because you you think that a lot of these regions around the world that don't have particularly strong economies today, as you know, compared to the U.S. or even the U.K a lot of them are growing their economies. The median income in these regions is growing and is expected to grow for decades, you know, in the decades to come. And particularly countries like, and we're not talking about Japan or Mexico in this case, but particularly countries like India and China, they have massive populations. And that's why India's TV rights fees are, are relatively high already. Um, and that if you can grow an audience in these regions, you can continue to, extract media value and eventually run live events and you can run more live events if you have robust brands in, in, in all these markets. Um, and, and, and with that comes the rest of your business, including consumer products um, and, and maybe other media deals that you can make in addition to that. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good? So you're talking about getting invested in emerging economies, not necessarily Mexico and certainly not Japan, but India, Indonesia, Perhaps China, perhaps like the Philippines or Pakistan or some countries in Africa or South America. Yeah. When do we see a serious revenue turnaround on that from specifically these NXT um, workshops? I like the India is a good example of like India is now a profitable market for WWE in a lot, in a few different ways, right? We know the television deal is very pro- profitable in India. Yeah. Perhaps whatever they're making off of, you know, social media, which we know is is relatively negligible, but is 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 also supported by, you know, the Indian market, and they can say in investors' calls how many, you know, views something got on one of their social media platforms that that is largely coming from an Indian fan base. Do they have TikTok Huge. in India? Have, is I, that? I would imagine, but like so, so in in India, so in on YouTube. Huge percentage. I don't know. At, at Barrios said at one point, so this is years ago, I think says something to the effect. I don't know if he's talking about international or maybe most of it's from India, but a huge percentage, we can say, of the YouTube engagement that W gets is from India. Now, the CPMs on that are very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money that you're making on, on YouTube overall is not big relative to your big TV deals. I think it's like 20 to $30 million a year. Twenty to thirty million dollars a year. Compare that to the you know your TV deals in the U.S. four hundred seventy million. The TV deal in India fifty million. YouTube twenty to thirty million, I'd say. Um, and then the the money that you're generating just off of, of your viewers in India is low because the economy is not as strong in in India as it is in other countries. Um, right. But if we accept that India has proven to be a successful market that WWE has really broken into over the last you know decade or so, that was done through the main roster. That was due through like the great Kali being a, you know, a celebrity and being a legitimate drawing card to the Indian audience. That was done through getting other talent 
that maybe even if they're not of Indian descent are over in India. It was getting over the main roster in India. It wasn't starting a promotion in India like TNA tried to do. It wasn't, um, you know, catering to specifically necessarily the Indian market with things beyond, you know, the great Kali, um, and to a very lesser extent, Jinder Mahal, it was WWE breaking into it using their main roster and, and, and doing that. You don't necessarily need to start your own NXT and have all this, you know, domestic talent coming from those regions and having your own wrestling company there. That sounds much, much more expensive. And your return is not going to be, I don't think going to really justify that when you've already shown at least the ability to break into India and turn a profit off India. Um, and how many how many markets are there really like India? I know it's one of the poorest markets, but it's also like 1.2 billion people. Um, There's I China, which they've tried, and I, I don't, I don't know that they even still have that PPTV deal that they at, at one time had. Um, and they've kicked the tires on a lot so far. Just if we're actually going to go down the route of let's train talent, let's get talent uh, from these regions. They've been doing that in India and China for probably, what, a half dozen years? And what are the results that we have had from – we have Zia Lee and Veer mm-hmm. and a lot of people who tried it out and went home. Yeah. A and lot so, of NXT releases from those areas. Yeah. Kavita so, Devi is another one. For, yeah. She was the weightlifter who did like the big YouTube number for her super uh, – the May Young Classic match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not around anymore. It just – so even if we're talking about like a follow-up question would be if we're, okay, we're going to go to these NXTs or we're just going to find, you know, talent and we're going to bring them to the Performance Center Orlando and we're going to develop them. Again, the question that needs to be asked about everyone, about any time the Performance Center comes up as a potential like big investment strategy for WWE is what is your track record at this point of developing real top talent that's making a difference in, in business? And it's not very good, and it's certainly not very good for the domestic for the international talent that they've brought in. So why do I have confidence if you can't train Indian talent coming to Florida and working with presumably experienced talent and working with your best trainers? Why do I think you're going to be able to train Indian talent in India and will presumably be a more difficult setting for for talent to to, to learn wrestling? I think, and maybe part of what we should be thinking about is Kali has a, a promotion in India, CWE. I'm, I'm trying to. Does he still that. run? Does he run? I know he's done like special shows that have drawn really big crowds. I don't Somebody know if they were... check, check the cage match as we talk here. See That's what, what I'm what, doing. What, what events they've done recently? Um, Middle Kingdom Wrestling is a Chinese-based promotion. I don't think they've ran in a while though. Okay. Before um, since the pandemic, I mean, I'll double check that. But I, I wonder if if some of this could be justified as just being defensive. Um, I could imagine them looking at the rise and the, you know, the resurgence of new Japan, which isn't doing incredibly well now. And Japan is still under restrictions related to the pandemic, but new Japan definitely had a, had growth and had a rise in popularity domestically. And then eventually internationally, uh, peaking in 2019. And I could see W looking at that and saying, well, why weren't we a part of that? Or why couldn't, why, if they were able to grow their audience and to grow their business, with a wrestling product, why were they able to do it and not us? Why weren't we able to make WWE more popular in Japan over that time? Um, and WWE, there, there have been a lot of products that have that have emerged over the last several years that have risen in popularity and, and have grown their businesses and, and 
for various reasons. Um, and, and I wonder if part of it is defensive to say, let, let's get in there and make that be us rather than, than them, rather than somebody apart from us. Um, I was, I was talking to Cubs fan ask, asking him about, about Lucha because, you know, he, he is like the foremost English speaking expert on, on Lucha, I would say, who I know of. Um, and he, he, he raised the question, you know, what does WWE need from an existing international company that they can't get themselves? In other words, assume that they're going to do this. They want to do this. Go buy companies internationally. What what do they really get by buying that company that that they can't relatively easily make happen themselves? Um, My my answer to that was that maybe they they. I could see it being really hard to go to particularly Japan or Mexico and launch an NXT Japan, NXT Mexico, W Japan, W Mexico, and sure you can recruit talent and you can recruit personnel who have experience in that in that region and have name recognition in that region and and can draw in that region. But I think it would be really hard to connect authentically with the local market if you don't have one of the existing uh, brands that have brand equity in those markets. And maybe in Japan in, in particular, there's a difference in the culture that, that people always talk about in terms of talent and personnel having a great deal of loyalty to their company, where like maybe it's, it is harder to recruit in Japan, and it would be easier if you just acquired a company, so you're acquiring the loyalty that comes with it. Um, all of that said, I think a lot of this is hard to read because it, it, it largely depends, assuming that Paul Levesque is behind this vision, which I think is a safe assumption, all of this kind of depends on what is his vision and understanding about pro wrestling internationally, whereas this is somebody who you know, apparently just started to take independent wrestling seriously in about 2014. Uh, so I think it's pretty curious what exactly they have in mind here. Kali's promotion does still exist and it seems like they run pretty frequently yeah. running in the same spot. I have no idea if it has television. I have no idea if it has a lot of fans attending. But it does um, exist and still seems to be running based using, you know, domestic talent peers. Uh, Middle Kingdom uh, has ran three shows in Halloween uh, weekend, but then they, before that it was January. So they're running very sparse in China. Um, I wanted to kind of bring up a point where you were saying, Brandon, it, you're an outsider, honestly. Yes. And WB is a global company, but you're an, you're an American outsider company. If you come over and purchase a company that has a lot of history and tradition, I don't think that 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 local audience will see that as a great thing. Like it's like, oh, you're coming and taking something from us and putting your spin on it. Now, if you just, hey, we're opening WWE Mexico, that's different. But I think if you purchase CMLL, then it's like you're taking something away from us and turning it, Americanizing it. I th- but I think it can be done somewhat along the lines. And I know Bushi Road's not a wrestling company inherently, and Cyber Agent's not a wrestling company inherently. But but those larger companies have acquired New Japan Stardom, NOAA, DET, Tokyo Joshi Pro. And those companies have, have, I think it's safe to say, uh, preserved their identities. What if 
Michael Cole explained the history of CMLL on a broadcast, though. I look that, forward when to that it. put people at ease if he starts talking about Salvador Luteroth. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Bushi Road and Cyber Agent are companies based in Japan, though, right? Like, I, right. I still think it's, yeah. I'm not an expert on this, but there is, I believe, like, I think there's like federal regulations in Japan that make it very difficult for an American company to purchase a Japanese company or, or for any you know foreign company to purchase a Japanese company, which might be difficult if we're talking about one of these larger promotions, perhaps with the smaller ones or, or you know, it's not significant enough to kind of trigger anything. But I believe there are it's, – it's hard for an American, a big American company to come in and purchase Japanese companies outright. Yeah, MJ from NJ brought that up in the chat. There has to be like regulatory approval to gain business in markets like that. Okay. Well, for, for the sake of exercise, nothing else. Uh, this is what we see on the screen here is a, a, a brief survey of the state of Japanese wrestling, the major companies. Um, Bushiroad owns New Japan and Stardom. Cyber Agent owns Noah, DDT, Tokyo Joshi Pro. I, I think they own some another smaller company. Uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling, I believe, is independently owned. Ice Ribbon, I believe, is independently owned. It brings to mind, too. I think they would want to, if, if this is an idea that's really being had, if they want to get into Japan, I would see them not only wanting one men's promotion or not only wanting one women's promotion. I, I think they would want to be involved with women's wrestling as well as men's wrestling. Anyway, Dragon Gate, I believe, is independently owned. Maybe Gore owns some of it. I don't know. Um, and, of course, Big Japan. Uh <laughs> We look forward to a WWE-owned deathmatch company. Um, well, it would be WWE. It wouldn't be Big Japan. It would be like, you know, them using, like, replace all the stuff with just, you know, Singapore chain, like Singapore cane shots in those black metal chairs. Um, and here's the top 20 promotions that I extracted from Cage Match in terms of these are the promotions that run the most events year to date, 2022. Dragon Gate is number one almost 150 events on the year. Uh, Kalega, which is a promotion that I, I, I hear people joking about. Kalega? Hey, Kalega's probably for sale. If WWE wants to make a play, I think they're more like a really small purchase. company, right? They, um, Yeah, so I think they run all of their shows out of Osaka, okay. uh, like a small, like, little studio. Little studio. Um, and the, each show, like, I think they have YouTube shows, and I think they're, like, maybe, like, three matches long. So... I don't know if these are really separate live events that they're running as yeah, much I, as... I first did this by number of matches that each company had held, and Kalega, yeah. I think, was number one. Yeah. So I don't know if there's... Yeah, but I don't know if these are all separate. Of, those are necessarily what I would call separate events. I assume that they're taping a lot of them at one time and then releasing them mm. intermittently through these short YouTube shows. Um, but okay. I'm sure if WWE's interested, they want to get... Look, one of the most... Uh, prolific companies in Japan is Kalega. I'm sure. Uh, I, don't know who, I don't know who owned. Let me see if that, someone funny might own Kalega. I'm going to look you, that up you, now. You research that. And I'll, yeah, they're, they're, we'll, we've got your uh, Kalega coverage here in WrestleMonics. Um New Japan is number three. A bunch of so Cage Match uses this category freelance shows to sort of throw in miscellaneous one offs, um, and then Big Japan number six is DDT. Number seven is Stardom. Ice Ribbon Gato Move which is a sort of niche um, Joshi company, right? Michinoku Pro, Pro Wrestling Noah, and then now we get into some companies that I don't really, uh, uh, I'm not familiar with. Ad 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 Active Advanced Pro Wrestling, All Japan, 
Tokyo Joshi Pro, Zero One, Pure J, Pro Wrestling Wave, Sportiva Entertainment, never heard of it, YMZ Pro Wrestling, and of course, Yanagase Pro Wrestling, everyone's favorite. Uh, so there's those things. I did do the Google Trends in the Japan region to look at. I think it's a good representation of name recognition. This is year to date, January to November. Um, yesterday was the third. So yes, the Google Trends data is, is, is available for the full month of November. Um, if they were to do this, doesn't all Japan make the most sense? I guess. Yeah, I guess Dragon Gate making sense, and, though, too. Yeah. Um, and, and Ice Ribbon making some sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, we should mention, too, I, th- I think those companies that are owned by large parents, besides the, the legal issues that may be a, a big hurdle, I think those those New Japan stardom, NOAA, DDT, Tokyo Joshi Pro, would be, would be pretty hard to acquire yeah. unless – those parents were looking to offload, which is not inconceivable given that, you know, maybe we're on the verge of, you know, some larger economic problem throughout the world. Um, in terms of name recognition, let's look at perhaps Google Trends will give us some some suggestion about this. New Japan, of course, is way ahead, followed by Stardom, which is at about half the rate, followed by WWE. So WWE number, th- number three in terms of web search in Japan, uh, behind New Japan and Stardom. Just behind WWE is Noah, followed by Dragon Gate, followed by All Japan, followed by DDT, followed by AEW, followed by Big Japan, and then we have a lot of others with, I think, too small a measurement to really try to analyze here. Um, so that's Japan. I think we have Mexico next with AAA, who have a partnership with Marvel. Marvel, yep. that'll perk your ears up. Uh, CMLL and IWRG. Um, Who's running the most events? CMLL. This is this is oh, this is big news too. I have scraped the LuchaDB database. Are you, from, are you guys familiar with the LuchaDB? LuchaDB.com, which is Cubs fans' database of, of Lucha results, going all the way back to 1930. You ever visited it? You should all visit LuchaDB.com. Um, so CMLL is the leader year to date in terms of number of events, 331. Um, this includes some scheduled events for December too. 240 for AAA. Uh, and then IWRG is number three. And then we have a, a lot of companies that I've, I'm just not familiar with here uh, after that. Uh, and in terms of web search in Mexico for wrestling companies, WWE is by far number one. That's how it measures. You know, at, at, at a nine to CMLL's 1.3 to AAA's 0.9, let's say, to round um, so is the Crash Lucha Libre, is that considered an independent thing? Because that's a pretty prominent Mexican promotion. Mm-hmm. And I think Conan had ties to it. I would definitely kind of put them in the conversation. Not as obviously as AAA and CMLL, but, you know, the Crash is, I think, a pretty notable Mexican promotion. Mm-hmm. I, I I did, I ran the the table on on number of events on... Um, cage match also in the, and the crash was I think in the neighborhood of like 80 events on the year or something like that they, they were com- comparable to others um, in terms of number of events but they were not right up at the top so WWE um, they have obviously a big lead in Google Trends search over even the Mexican promotions when it comes to Domestic I'm not sure what Google to make search. of there. Um, WWE doesn't. So, so let's say W going just going by this. WWE is very popular in Mexico. 
but WWE doesn't really run all that much in Mexico, despite the fact that it would be not incredibly difficult for them to, to run shows in Mexico, Mexico City. I'm um, just looking at they ran a show in Mexico City in um, October. Right. Yeah. But before that, they ran one in. 2019 and then they, they basically run it looks like for the most part they run one show a year in mexico city and it's they just did, a house did fairly show. well right like 10, I, I mean like i'm sure it, it must have if they're only running one a year and they're running at you know arena ciudad in in mexico city i'm sure they're doing pretty good but we, we talked about this a, a, i think a few weeks ago that you know they've only they don't really tv tape in mexico that much like one would think if they have so much popularity in Mexico that the they would be, don't have a number for it. Okay. Yeah. That they would be visiting the Mexican market more frequently than they do. Um, it, it's probably a matter of economy too, in that you probably can't charge ticket prices that are very high in Mexico compared no. to the U S or. The yeah. But if you were running like a, if you're running a pay-per-view, say you run a pay-per-view, you could do it too. Cause you run a, P, or a PLE, um, brand it as a Mexican theme show maybe push one of your Mexican wrestlers in the, in the main event brought it in Mexico city. You could sell it out. You could probably draw, you could, you could, you could have higher ticket prices for that. It wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be like in India. Um, there's enough, I think wealth in Mexico city to, to, to demand high ticket prices for a special event. It just seems like, I don't know, something that you would logically do, especially if you were interested in expanding into Mexico, you'd be running a little bit more. Even if maybe you were taking a, a slight loss and it'd be more lucrative to, to run in the United States. Um, um, and by the way, along these lines in Latin America, um, I believe I, I saw it. Someone said that on the Masked Man podcast, they said that they expect there to be a, a big W show in Puerto Rico involving Bad Bunny, who is from Puerto Rico. Um, and that, that can make with, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that would align with something that. Um, Triple H said on, on that Survivor Series press conference where he said he, – he, he very much dropped a hint about Puerto Rico. Well, someone asked a question about future events in Latin America. Yeah. And, and, and in that response, he was like – he said something that affected just wait on Puerto Rico as if you know there's news coming up. Um, yeah. And when Triple H says just wait, you'll see 100% something Let happens all the time. Yeah. Let it play out. Um, anything more to add on this? I don't think so. I can't remember slides. Did we, now they talked about running a possibly, uh, stadium shows in Australia. Do we, do you have a slide cuter for that? We can just put it no, in this section both. here. No, you, um, you, yeah, you, I mean, you. I think Australia is going to be the next big, uh, stadium show. It seems like, and I, and I think a hint of that might be that they've announced a star cast in Australia for 2023. So what was uh, Con- Conrad Thompson and Nick, all Mickey and James, James and are, so are starting a company, a re- like a wrestling yeah. event company. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah. To do like a Starcast type event, at least one event in Australia next year. And I feel like that's going to be tied to a, to a major to, event. That, that would be my prediction. I have no insight. When, when is, when, what is the date on, on their, they event? didn't give a date. They didn't give. So a date. that's why I think it's, it's going to be tied to when waiting for WWE to announce that, but it seems like we'll get a big uh, PLE in, in Australia, just like we did with Clash of the Castle. Okay. Well, we, yeah, we've gotten the Melbourne Cricket Grounds uh, show, or the Melbourne Stadium show, whatever they did in uh, was that twenty nineteen Super Showdown? 18? Yep, Super Showdown. 
2018. Yeah, I mean, with these big stadium shows, I think like what WWE is going to be looking for is either a market that they can try, they can have very high ticket prices like they did for the Cardiff show and they could presumably do in Australia or a government that's willing to pay for the show or in some cases both. Like they'll get a pretty good deal from like the tourist board, which I think was what happened with the first Melbourne show was they got a very uh, friendly deal from yeah. this, like the city of Melbourne or the state of Australia. They, where they even reported is. it in, in there. Yeah. They reported something extra in their other live events line. Yeah. That and I think the Cardiff one was that. the Cardiff one, I think was somewhat similar in, in that sense. And they were able to try high ticket prices or they're looking for something like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia show where, you know, the government can pay them a huge amount of money to come and they don't have to worry about drawing tickets. That's where I see like the future of these international stadium shows. I'd be really skeptical of seeing one in a country like India where the government's unlikely to purchase one. And they're have doing the a live event. PW Insider reported that they're doing a live event, I believe in January in India. I don't mm-hmm. think it's, it's, it's nothing massive. Like we're talking about here, like potential stadium event in Australia, but they're yes. doing a live event in Last time they went to India, I believe they were supposed to have two shows in, in New Delhi, um, India, and they, I think, cut one of the shows and, and yeah. made it just this as is one. 2017, and they and Jinder Mahal lost the title. This is the famous Jinder Mahal Triple H match where yes. Jinder Mahal lost to Triple H. Um, yes. Because the crowd wanted to see Triple H win, not Jinder Mahal. And they so, took the title off of him just before going to India. Yeah, so they, I don't think. I, yeah, so, so when it comes to like India, like drawing a crowd in India. And making that a profitable endeavor for them, I think, is is quite difficult. The travel costs, I'm sure, are immense um, mm-hmm. relative to a domestic show, and your gate is probably going to be lower. Um, maybe if you're only running one show, uh, you know, every few years, you can charge a really big gate. But um, that's one of those things I just don't see happening unless they, it's it's a paid it's a paid for show, like the the Saudi Arabia shows are. I, I you know. If the Saudi Arabia shows are, de- de- are deemed a success, if they're seemed as successful as the Saudi Arabian government uh, seems to suggest, how come we don't see more of those shows happening? More how Saudi we, shows? How, no, not Saudi shows, but how, but like, what about you know, what about Qatar? What about the UAE? What about Kuwait? What about these other countries that would like to also sports wash some of the things they're doing with WWE? Does mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia? Do you think so? just was saving up for the World Cup? I don't know. Do you think, well, now they have a bunch of stadiums and they're willing yeah. to spend a lot more money than probably it would cost to have WWE show up? Um, I, I would think that so- Saudi Arabia just has a larger budget for these things. I mean, somebody else who knows more about what's happening with sports in that region could probably tell us. But I, my guess would be that Saudi Arabia is just doing a, a greater variety of, of Well, sports. these other countries are involved in sports Washing, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, Qatar has the World Cup. The UAE owns Manchester City and other sports enterprises. These are countries that have no problem spending billions of dollars on sports acquisitions. It would seem that if we look at, oh, you know, if the WWE shows are successful for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, why? I wouldn't surprise me, at least, if we saw some of these other wealthy oil states that are looking to change their image. There's a cost to, yeah. to WWE of doing this. Like, we have to keep in mind, like the, the the money that Saudi Arabia, the government is paying WWE is extreme. It's fifty million dollars. So, like yeah. three three WrestleManias in, in terms of ticket sales, um, right? And 
so the money has to be extreme if they're going to do this again, you know, in another country. And do they do they want to pay that extreme price? Maybe as part of the hurdle. I don't. Know. I see these other countries spending fifty million dollars like it's nothing. So I don't think it's Would unique so- to Saudi Saudi Arabia's resources. At least um, that like the UAE or or, or, or Qatar would be um, uninterested in doing it. I mean, would Saudi Arabia were, want that though? Like Saudi. Yeah, well, Arabia that's might. another question. Does Saudi Arabia have a yeah. some sort of exclusive agreement that WWE yeah. can't take the same deal for to run a show in Dubai and to run a show in Doha or Kuwait yeah. City or these other places? Yeah, I'm, I'm under, underestimating MBS. Really, yeah, he's, he's more savvy than I give him credit for. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I guess we'll move to – this is all part of the same subject, believe it or not. Uh, but briefly on WWE stock. Uh, WWE stock is up to $80, $80.5 at the close of the market on Friday. In aftermarket trading, it is up an additional 4%, up to $83.80, almost $84. We have to go back to somewhere in May of 2019 to find a – W share price, at least on, on the close of the market, that was as high as $84. So uh, the W stock price is just really climbing as we get closer and closer to the time when WE next year sometime will renew their live U.S. rights. Um, and this is – we'll look at the, uh, the various price targets that equity analysts have put out. Uh, somebody is as low as $52. I think that's Stephen Cahal of Wells Fargo. And, and somebody else is as high as $11, which I, th- I think is um, – do we have it on here? I think it's the next slide, in fact. That is Wolf Research, uh, who just put out that price target. Uh, but the middle, the average price target is $84.5, which is where it's at in aftermarket. Um, so we'll uh, we'll go to Nick Khan's comments um, on – the Wells Fargo talk where he talks about um, how these deals are, I, I, I guess are going to be argued, which is something that I'm, I've been really curious about. Like we hear a lot of posturing and talking about how great everything is both in terms of W and AEW, but what really is the logic? What really is the argument for um, why these, these TV shows should get a strong upgrade in TV rights fees. So there's some, exploration of this from from Nikon, both directed towards the deal with NBCU for Raw and towards the deal with Fox for SmackDown. So here's first the his comments on the NBCU relationship. NBCU, Monday Night Raw right now is on USA, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern to 11 p.m. Eastern, obviously on Mondays, Monday Night Raw. Um, if you look at the subscriber rate for USA right now, if it's hovering around 80 cents a home, we're the highest rated program on USA times three, times three. So to us, obviously, it's a dual revenue stream, as everyone knows, in cable. So it's not just about ad revenue. It's about the relevancy of eyeballs brought to that network by WWE. We had an unintentional test at the beginning of this year uh, under the Winter Olympics from Beijing, uh, USA on short notice had struck some new MVPD deals, NBCU had, that is, uh, which required the Olympics to air live, again, from China, in primetime U.S. So we were preempted on USA with short notice, two weeks of Raw. We moved over to Sci-Fi Network, another NBCU property, as everybody knows. Sci-Fi is not ESPN in its data. It's, it's a little lesser known. 
It doesn't have a dedicated audience. Uh, on short notice, 90% of our audience traveled uh, for Monday Night Raw. And again, this was up against the Olympics. And I get it. The Winter Olympics may not be what they once were, but they still rated and they certainly still had some relevancy. So we were happy to see that. Other buyers out there were happy to see that. Uh, I think NBC was happy to see that. So in terms of USA and us, and certainly Peacock, I think the NBCU folks would tell you that we've over-delivered there in terms of paid subs. So remove the Cox homes, remove the Comcast homes where you can get Peacock for free. In terms of paid subs who have gone there for WWE, it's far exceeded their expectations and candidly exceeded some of our expectations about where it would go. So you look at the NBCU ecosystem, keep in mind NBC Sports Network went away. There's a bit of a consolidation. Other basic cable networks will fall off, not USA. They needed to stay robust. They need to increase that 80 cents per month per sub fee because there's obviously fewer subs in the world that we're all living in. So what he's talking about there, part of what he's talking about, he said a lot there. But um, where, so it's a quiz opportunity, you know that. Chris Gull, where does, say, USA Network get the majority of their revenue from? Uh, that would be subscriptions from cable companies. Well done. So uh, we, have, we have some slides to, uh, to look at here. Uh, so let's look at, look at NBCU first. Uh, and I did... I went through, people should, should, should know and appreciate all, all the work that goes into this podcast. I did go through Comcast SEC filings last night and Fox, and I started to go through WBD, and it's, it was quite, quite a process. Uh, but but we, we, we do have NBCU and Fox here. So it's, it's about 50-50, I guess, and this is, this is media. So some of this is going to include the NBC broadcast money, too. But across the entire NBC Universal media segment, which is, is what they report as deeply as they report. And uh, so this, this segment consists primarily of NBC Universal's television and streaming platforms, including national, regional, international cable networks, uh, the NBC and Telemundo pod broadcast networks, NBC and Telemundo are owned via, yeah. and then and this includes Peacock. So anyway, I would think the cable would skew even more towards what would be in the blue here, distribution, subscriber fees, which Nick Khan says uh, for uh, USA Network, 80 cents per subscriber, which is per home. Um, so that's hundreds of millions of dollars per year uh, and probably a bigger piece than the ad revenue uh, that they're making. So that's the justification that, well, how do they make that money? People are watching and using USA Network because of the programming that's on it. What's the number one show on USA Network? He says it's raw, um, basically. I'm, uh, that's, there's some truthiness to that. Uh, so I, I went through the showbiz data which is not everything, but it's the top daily 150 programs as ranked by P18 to 49. And uh, I did this for January 1st to December 1st. And I calculated the watch time, which I think is the right way to look at this, rather than just what's the average rating. If you do the average rating, uh, Raw does have the highest P18 to 49 rating of, of anything of anything they might call a program. It's, it's complicated because not every show has the same telecast name that groups easily. I did some manual grouping here when it comes to things like the Premier League and the Winter Olympics and NASCAR. 
But in terms of watch time, um, there was so much Winter Olympics on the USA Network, more than twice as much watch time, or more than twice as much broadcast time went to the Winter Olympics this year than Raw. So it's maybe not surprising that the Winter Olympics are ahead in terms of total audience watch time are ahead of Raw. Uh, in terms of P18 to 49 watch time, Raw is a little bit ahead of the Winter Olympics, despite having less than half of the minutes of broadcast time. Is everybody following me here? Anyway, uh, Raw is ahead of NASCAR. Raw is ahead of Premier League. Uh, and number five on this list is NXT, with over 3 billion, nearly 4 billion minutes of watch time this year to date. Uh, and we go further down the list, we can find additional WWE content, including, I believe it's the, the eight episodes or so of WWE Evil. The Miz and Mrs. is on here in the top 20, uh, providing an additional 170 minutes of watch time, 170 million minutes of watch time. So all of this, all this goes together, I think. Um, I think it's quite likely that the NXT deal is going to expire at the same time as the Raw deal, and this is probably going to be dealt together. Um, does NXT stay on on uh, on linear is, is a question. Maybe that ends up on, on Peacock. Who knows? Um, so all this, I think, goes together. Um, and you could say yes, especially in 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 most years, you're not going to have the Olympics, right? Olympics in the Winter Olympics, anyway, only happens every four years. Is it, are the Summer Olympics going to end up on, on the USA Network? Maybe because there's no I more believe, NBC Sports Network. Yeah, so. NBC has the rights to the Summer mm-hmm. Olympics, so one would imagine that. So maybe every there would be, other year there will be. Yeah, Olympics, and there's so. probably going to be more Summer Olympics on USA than Winter Olympics, I would think, just because there's more sports in the Summer Olympics. Yeah, so more events, more, yeah. Yeah, there'd be more stuff to cover. Maybe it evens out to about the same, but um, I would suggest that. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm really surprised that there's more NASCAR minutes for the year than – So this is everything. This is the – Qualifying, post race qualifying, everything that had NASCAR in its telecast. Yeah, name. that's that's really surprising to me because NASCAR only has half of the. I mean, NBCU only has half of the NASCAR slate. A lot of those races are also on NBC proper. So even if you factor in like the truck races and the Xfinity series, like kind of like AA and AAA versions of NASCAR that run the same weekend, I'm really surprised WWE has you know. Well, I guess I guess we're just raw. This is just raw, not NXT. So we're just talking about three hours a week. Because so I mean, they're long races, time. yeah. I know they're long races, but it, I'm I'm surprised by that. But obviously, yeah. if, if you, if you combine NXT hard. and Raw, you you get to I don't know, probably something like well, well or yeah, four yeah, probably even fourteen because that's five eight plus yeah eight three anyway. Um, yeah. Um, so I think it's it's pretty fair to i don't know if it, by three times i don't know what what the what the thing is what the next thing is that he's got in mind that's that is just behind wb in terms of wb being three times uh the lead you know the the number two of of programs on usa network but um he's clearly justifying there arguing that our value to usa network is not just the ad revenue that is directly generated against our programming but the subscriber revenue as well um so we'll we'll get into a way that that might be calculated but we'll we'll listen to his comments on the fox relationship for smackdown now in terms of fox on broadcast outside of the retrans which we have little or nothing to do with it's a single revenue stream 
So on Fox, if you take a look at what's going on over there, they had their highest, uh, their most expensive scripted program of all time, Monarch, which did not do particularly well, came out a couple of months ago, did not do particularly well. There was an executive change on the entertainment side. The new head of entertainment comes from an unscripted background. So what does that tell us about Fox? They want more live. We all saw their Big Ten uh, deal, which was announced a couple of months ago, and they want more unscripted content. Think Mass Singer rather than Monarch. So in programming six nights a week, which Fox is currently doing, if you also look at their Sunday nights, Yes, it's The Simpsons. The show's been on since I was a child, which, as you can see in your eyeball test, was a long time ago. So the show's been on forever, but it's not Fox's show anymore. So to showcase scripted content that's being rented by another studio or from another studio, that's not the way that we see them going. So in terms of eyeballs, also on the linear broadcast network side, scripted content is no longer working in general, really on any linear linear broadcast free-to-air network that's really migrated to streaming so everybody has six or seven nights of the week depending on what network you are where they need to program while also feeding their streaming service so if you take a look at a show like dancing with the stars which has been on 20 plus cycles now for abc that's moving exclusively to disney plus that's another open night of the week at disney so we're constantly taking a look at that not only with fox and nbcu but to see what the other needs are across the board, we think it's a robust marketplace. So shade thrown at uh, Yellowstone, I think, there by Nick Khan. Acknowledge Yellowstone. Acknowledge the governor. Um, what's the governor's name? John Dunn. John Dunn. Um, Yellowstone is, is the one big exception to, to what he's saying there, and that you know, scripted is dead and on, um, on linear TV. Um, but for the, I would say for the most part, that's, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> It's interesting that he volunteers, and I don't know what to make of it, that he volunteers that in terms of the retrans, he's talking about the retransmission revenue. What is, does anybody know what, what he means by retransmission revenue? That's not second day rights. Is that different? No. So it's, so even though Fox is available over the air, they still charge DirecTV cable companies yeah. the, for the right to, to put Fox on their system. That's then then what the, the charge is called retransmission fee, um, and he just volunteers that he says we just heard it you know apart from the retransmission fee, retransmission which we have little to no, or nothing to do with, um, so it's surprising to me that he would admit that or say that, and I don't really know how to take that. Um, so anyway, Morgan Stanley uh, in their report this past week. Uh, did some very interesting research along, along these lines. So just to put up, put out there what, what Morgan Stanley thinks here, they're, they're, they're assuming the base case for eight, for WWE's uh, TV rights deal in the U S is 1.5 X current value, current average annual value for raw and SmackDown combined is $470 million a year, $470 million a year. If Morgan Stanley is correct, and they get a 1.5x increase, let's say for both deals, they end up at $705 million a year. Uh, Morgan Stanley has also laid out bear cases. They have also uh, laid out a bull case. Bear cases 1.35x, where they only end up with $635 million a year. 
and a bull case where they double their TV rights and end up at nearly a billion dollars a year just in U.S. live rights, $940 million. So notice their bear case is not even a, a, an even. It's not even a, a, a no raise. It's not even a, a, a one, 1.0x case. Their sort of pessimistic case is still a 35% raise. Um, so that's, that's uh, I think that's, that is worth emphasizing. And, and a, a big part of their analysis is the argument that the, the expected next television contract is already baked into the stock price, in their opinion. That people, yes. that, would, you know, the over $80 per share price is because people are expecting somewhere between Let's just say 1.35 and two times the current deal. So they, they write in the report that they they, they see the consensus. In, a, in essence, they're saying the consensus of stock analysts believe I think at this point 1.7 x or something like that. So they're a little bit their base case is a little bit lower than what they view the consensus as. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this report was was not just this interesting research that we're going to dig into, but part of this report was to say. Um, I believe they raised their stock price target. They did set their stock price target as 80, whereas I believe it had been a little bit lower before. And basically saying what you just said, Jesse, that um, it, the, a, a big increase is really baked into this stock price that keeps growing and growing. And we're, we're saying, okay, we're, we'll, we'll raise our price target, but but basically to where it's at, which is $80, and saying that, you know, okay, this is where it should be right now, um, but no higher. Um so those are their their cases for the US TV deal. Um, they lay out their, their reasons for optimism and pessimism. Uh, so they do their reasons for optimism. Look, Fox still makes a profit on on TV on on their TV business on their broadcast TV business. Fox does give us enough granularity that we can tell that from their SEC filings. They break out cable away from the rest of the business. And we can look at that and say, yes, they're still reporting a positive EBITDA, earnings before interest and taxes and depreciation and amortization. Um, Also a reason for for optimism is that Fox is entering this cycle where they're going to have to make new deals with all of their cable and satellite carriers. And that means that they're, I guess they're going to get a, expected to get an increase in their deals. Um, Fox and DirecTV just finalized their deal. Uh, there was a, it was about to expire. So they're avoiding that expiration time where maybe people with DirecTV, for example, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to, to watch SmackDown or anything else on Fox. Anyway, that deal has been closed. Um, and the fact that uh, another reason for, for optimism is that, look, SmackDown is probably still a pretty good deal for Fox in terms of the viewership that it delivers. You'd probably have to spend a lot more to find a program that delivers similarly in terms of the TV ratings that it does. Uh, yes, it's $2 million per week, or per, I'm sorry, per hour, $4 million per week. Um, that's compared to what you would have to spend to deliver similar ratings. It's at 0.52 in the demo, whatever it is. You'd probably have to spend perhaps a lot more to, to replace it. Um, and then the reasons for pessimism. Uh, Morgan Stanley writes, against WWE in securing a bull case renewal with Fox are the following. Number one, we estimate Fox loses money when looking simply at ad sales on SmackDown relative to the rights fees under the current cost structure, let alone 
that of a major increase. That's number one. And number two, W's value to Fox's retransmission negotiations is unclear. We don't know what value they really contribute. And then number three, unlike NBC and Peacock, Fox is not using WWE today to drive a strategic, i.e. money-losing, streaming business. So Fox, as we know, is not, not deeply invested in the streaming business. And we won't, we won't forget, yes, Gull loves his Tubi. Fox does own Tubi. That's a fast. That's a free ad-supported television platform. Uh, but it's not this big risk like Peacock is. Um, so there are those three things. The ad sales don't cover the rights fees. Uh, we don't know what the retransmission value is. And there's a lack of, of, of other things that the content is contributing to Fox's larger business. Um, so, and, and then Maureen Stanley lays out these three ways that you could think about what value WWE provides to Fox. And that we could have another conversation another day about doing this as an exercise applied to either Raw or, or Dynamite and, and, and Rampage, I think. Um, so these three, three paths to make this argument, uh, just think about it in terms of the, the direct money that you generate on this content, advertising only. Or you could think about it in terms of the direct and the indirect, so the advertising money that you generate, plus some justification about how you're helping them with retransmission fees. And then third, those two things plus some sort of synergistic effect that you're providing to somebody like Peacock, which you're not really providing to, to Fox. Um, so there's that. Um, and here's here's uh, so Morgan Stanley has uh, based on uh, they they source someone on this and that they have the CPM for SmackDown, um, which I believe is like thirty eight or forty cents CPM. What does that mean? That's that's. That's the uh, the cost per mile per thousand viewers. Uh, this this is the, the the charge that we charge for for advertising. It comes out to something like twenty seven thousand dollars per ad or something like that. Anyway, when you do all that math, you get to sixty four sixty four million dollars in a year that is a that is attributable to SmackDown. Sixty four million dollars a year. Those are what the commercials are worth in a year that you see on SmackDown. That's that's not that's not covered. That's a fraction of what Fox is paying WWE per year, two hundred and five million dollars, and they're only generating sixty four million dollars in ads. Um, now, if if you give SmackDown a proportionate uh, amount of retransmission value, that is the the same percent. Let's take the percentage of advertising revenue that Fox generates. In terms of their whole pie, what's what's the percentage in that pie? That SmackDown money? Okay, it's it's something like I don't know, it's like five percent. Anyway, let's take that percentage and let's assume that that is the percentage of retransmission value that that is attributable to SmackDown. That's an additional fifty-one million dollars. We still only get to one hundred and fifteen million dollars. Still, we're, we're we're at just over half of what Fox is paying SmackDown in a year. Uh, Morgan Stanley writes, we would note that although retransmission fees are an important form of indirect monetization for Fox, the total pool of retrans fees is unlikely to grow at the same rate at a WWE contract step up. So Fox is renegotiating all the retrans fees of all the cable and satellite providers. It's probably going to go up, but it's probably not going to go up to the degree that live rights fees like WWE's are going to go up. 
So that's a less, uh, you know, a less sustainable thing. As, as license fees increase, losses will be hard to recoup or defend if retrans fees do not keep up pace. Morgan Stanley writes. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's the story of, of, of the TV business, the pay TV business. Yes, Fox is still profitable. Their, their television segment, which consists of the Fox Broadcast Network, consists of the Tubi is included in here. Uh, my network TV and some other things are included in here. But this is, the, this is the profitability. This is the EBITDA, $555 million in their previous fiscal year. This year, down to 347 So I guess this is why Rich Greenfield and others are decrying. That's uh, the TV business is dying. Linear TV is, is dying. Um, Morgan Stanley writes their, their, their conclusion is that Fox is likely to be interested in renewing SmackDown, but may have a lower ceiling than other potential bidders who are willing to absorb greater losses for strategic purposes. Think NBCU with Peacock. Think Amazon with Prime Video. And given the linear ratings... Trends broadly is, is likely that the direct losses on SmackDown at Fox will increase. The losses will increase over time rather than improve. And retransmission fees are tied to pay TV customers, which will continue to decline because of cord cutting. Uh, Fox gives to be SmackDown the broadest reach possible, though, in the U.S. Streamer and cable competitors uh, would have to outbid, decisively outbid Fox if W was going to go away from Fox. So two things. The first is, okay, what does this really mean? The, what what this means for WWE and like the stock price is that it makes it it makes the argument that Fox is maybe not as invested in producing a competitive bid with some of maybe other entities to maintain SmackDown, which theoretically takes at least one perspective, you know, rights free rights fee bidder out of going all in and getting, you know, maybe, maybe bidding twice for twice as much. I think they're, they're saying Fox would be interested. It would be hard to replace them. They provide reach. So somebody, if they're going to go away from Fox, somebody like Amazon is going to really have to outbid them strongly. Right. But the impact, the argument is that it Fox not being quite as maybe desperate or as in need of the SmackDown ratings makes it so they're less likely to make a huge bid relative to maybe how high someone else wants to go. So it takes one bidder out of the equation from, like I said, maybe if people are start to get that number up to, to twice to, for the bear case, right. For, or, or for the bull case to get it to be twice its current value, you would want to have a bidder like Fox really willing to go that high. And they might not be that willing. Um, the second aspect of it, which is interesting is the reach argument, which yeah. So WWE gets paid more for Raw than they do for SmackDown, just on average annual value. Yes. Not per hour, but per week. Right. So Raw is more valuable currently than SmackDown. Yet, if you watch WWE, it's very clear that SmackDown has become the A show and Raw has become the B show and that the biggest stars are put on SmackDown, that's where Roman Reigns is, that's where Ronda Rousey is, that's where Brock Lesnar mainly has been appearing, that's where um, Bray Wyatt, when they wanted him to come back, that's where he went. Like, SmackDown is considered, from a, from a, I think, from a talent uh, allocation aspect. Where's Dominic? Where's Dominic? Dominic is on Raw. Um, 
But SmackDown, I think clearly if you were to like look at just now barring guys going back and forth and making special appearances and things like that, SmackDown clearly has more star power um, and I think has more dedicated towards it than Raw. And that is because Fox has that reach and it's better for WWE to be on that platform. Does WWE perhaps consider taking less money from Fox than maybe an Amazon Prime, if it's maybe maybe not a lot less, but potentially less for the value of that reach. And if you remember, if I have this correctly, Brandon, the WWE stock price before WWE debuted on Fox was going up and up and up. And a big part of that was optimism that being on Fox would be a big boon to WWE's business and that WWE um, would see increases in other revenue streams, not just in television, but by being on Fox, you would see an increase in live attendance, an increase in merchandise sales, an increase in WWE network subscribers because it would be on, you know, it would be in the 110, 111 million homes and being on Fox and being advertised during NFL football and things like that. I, I um, think so you, you're talking about when it's when it's way up. Let me get the laser pointer out. You're talking about like when, it, when it's way up here, it, it goes to to nearly a hundred on on two different occasions just mm-hmm. after the first deal is just after the 2018 deal is done. I think right. that was more due to like just irrational speculation on international, which didn't turn out to be as big as they were hoping in in in, in India and in um, the UK. The UK, I think we ne- we've I've never really known how much the UK deal is worth, but I believe it's worth less than the previous deal was worth. Um, and and I think the India deal was maybe not as big of an increase. It was a, it was a doubling but it was not as big of an increase as maybe this irrational valuation was at. But maybe some of it, I don't know. Maybe some of it was, there was definitely the argument that the definitely, I do remember the argument being made that you're describing that by God, with this reach that they have, they're going to, it's going to enhance their other engagement metrics. People who didn't know about WWE would now know about WWE and they were having, having Joe Buck read uh, a live read for the upcoming episode of SmackDown when, 22 million people are watching the four o'clock game on Fox would make a big difference. When you lay out this Morgan Stanley report, can argument be made that like, if say SmackDown doesn't go back on Fox, that an over the air network will probably never air wrestling again because financially it just doesn't look like, you know, for an NBC, a CBS or a Fox or an ABC to invest in a wrestling company. Cause we talked about AEW on Fox, but I don't look at it that I don't, I don't think it's something they would look and do. Never is a long time. And I think, um, I think, I mean, if, if, if they pass on SmackDown, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think about AEW being on Fox instead. If you, you get you a lot cert- cheaper, right. Cer- certainly Fox wouldn't have to pay nearly as much, yeah. you know, even if, even while giving AEW a large increase over what it's getting currently $44 million. Even if you like what tripled that, you're still only at somewhere over a hundred and, $120 million. So that's well under the 205 that you're currently paying for, for SmackDown. Um, I, and, and so let's assume that no, there's no AEW either. I, I still think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the future of broadcast TV is, yeah. and what the, what the, what function it's going to continue to serve in, in, in the, in, in people's entertainment lives. So I, it's, it, it could still fit someday. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise Would it surprise you if, you know, SmackDown is on NBC on Friday nights. Somewhat. Um, 
I think it's very much a part of the, a part of the USA yeah. tradition. And then what, what, what are they going to put on, on, on Monday? If not, uh, if not raw, that provides, no, no, no. Smacked, Smackdown, Smackdown being on NBC. Thanks. So instead of Smackdown airing on Fox on Friday nights, NBC makes a big bid, make, you know, we want to talk about corporate synergy. You have everything. Now you have the Peacock, you've Peacock deal, Smack, you know, raw NXT, you know, Smackdown. Why, why not move just Smackdown to Friday nights on NBC? Is, is there a, do you want the NBC brand associated with wrestling? I guess is the question. Um, Cause we talked about the seat. Was it CEO? We don't think, or chairman. He, Brian, Brian Roberts, he, yeah, probably yeah. not. Um, yeah. and I would say at that point, if you're sec- second to that, if you're going to put SmackDown in NBC, you just buy the company then. Right. Why would you rent this content? If you, if you want all of it, just buy the company. then. Um, which is, let's say we're getting close to the, to the market capital, right? If, if you have the raw, the SmackDown, the, the Peacock, um, that's altogether worth 600, about $670 million. If you almost, if, certainly if you, do, if you double that over the course and, the, and think about that, the value of that over the course of five years, you're getting close to $6 billion, which is the market capital of this company. Um, and we've Which discussed also use their IP in Universal Studios and maybe other ways. Yeah, and we've discussed the value for WWE. It might be to have its television, major television properties, split between two different companies. Maybe one's on streaming, maybe one's on cable, maybe one's on network television. But to keep it, keep mm-hmm. them separate as a way to kind of reach different audiences. Yeah, I think you you make more money. You know, uh, the grocery store makes more money from you if you buy. Two of the small items rather than one of the big items, you know. Mm-hmm. That's all I have. You know, if you guys have anything else, or we're going to go to super mm-hmm. chats. We can. Um, yeah, uh, we'll go to super chat here. Uh, just a, a super chat from MJ saying "ho" from the North Pole, where he's busy packing supplies for all those who are naughty and nice. How about those Friday after hours pump on no volume? So you kind of talked about the WWE stock price uh, a little bit earlier there. So yes. Thank, thank you. And that's all we have today uh, for, for for super chat. So, yes. Um, there, there's a line in the Morgan Stanley report. Right? I feel like it was it, it, it was it could have been addressed to MJ from NJ, where they they say that despite the economic challenges ahead, we still are are bullish on sports rights in general and WWE in particular. Uh, so. No, I think I, I'm, I'm still with Morgan Stanley. Uh, the, the analyst, by the way, is Ben Swinburne. Um, in that, I still think that sports rights are con- going to continue to get an increase, and I still think that uh, W's going to probably. I, I'm I'm kind of think there's a, a it's a better prediction probably at this point to predict. I don't know 1.7x, 1.75x, something like that. But we'll see how it plays out, and I still expect. Um, AEW is AEW gonna is AEW gonna get a good deal? Oh my god, I don't know. Are they gonna close forever? Did you know that they did a point two six this week? Yeah, I think I think not, it's over. Not a good rating. Not a good rating no. for. They're closing for in two years. Remember, c- compared to Booker T. According yeah, to well, they're closing. In two years. The started lowest, with the the lowest rating since almost the end of the Wednesday Night War. Lowest rating they've ever well, – normal time slot. We're not counting preemptions. I don't count preemptions here. Right. Uh, no real notable competition. It wasn't like the World Series or the NBA Finals was was against them. Mm-hmm. 
I think, but I, I will also argue that one thing we have learned is to never react to one week rating pattern. Yes. Okay. Uh, any plugs? Anything to plug today? Yeah, if people want to check out my podcast, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, it's right here on YouTube. Um, if you just look it up on YouTube, you can also go to my the Twitter channel uh, or my Twitter profile. You can find a link to it. We have it both in video and audio form. Um, I had Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling uh, Podcast on this week. We talked about Triple H's first Triple H's first 100 days. It was technically Triple H's first 127 days, but kind of we we, we analyzed kind of what we've noticed in WWE's programming and WWE's approach since Triple H took over from Vince McMahon in late July and kind of some things that we've identified as, as differences, some things that we've identified as being the same went over kind of Triple H's strengths and weaknesses so far as a creative mind and as in charge of WWE. So it's about an hour and 40 minutes. I think it was a really good discussion kind of going over um, what we've seen so far, what we've learned so far about Triple H's leadership and also what we've ex come to expect in the next 100 days. Um, so that's the gentleman's wrestling podcast. You can again, find that right on YouTube. Go on. Uh, well, my ring announcement for the year is done. I'll be back in 2023 ring announcing my last show on yesterday. Have you been uh, signed to an exclusive contract? We need an update. Can we get an update on I, your contract status? Uh, you I, I am still a free agent out there. So, uh, so still, still a free agent. Uh, uh, but hey, if we have anybody local to the Buffalo area, I will be doing a comedy show this Saturday night at the Buffalo Brewing Company at eight o'clock. I do do stand up comedy as well, and it's going to be a great show. Brandon, maybe you could use a laugh. Come on out and uh, uh, come out for a nice laugh. This, on this Saturday is a comedy night. podcast. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how it should be categorized. Okay, uh, you can subscribe to Russell. We had a I should, I should, we had a, a pretty strong last couple of days on on Patreon, which I, I appreciate. If you're if you're somebody who's gone over the edge recently and become a subscriber for Russell Amos on Patreon, I really appreciate it. Uh, at Patreon.com/slash Russell Amos, you get my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day, uh, quarter hours when I can get them. Access to the Russell Amos viewership spreadsheet. We also have reports um, not just for the the quarter hours for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dynamite rampage but also there's been ratings reports that uh, come out as far as i know originally from nobody else uh on women of wrestling on um when they don't make the show but top 150 uh tales from the territories um i want to say there's something else in there too uh and uh, impact and, and new japan as well when when they don't make the top um 150 new japan almost never does um one more week of tales from the territories uh, Mid South is coming up, I think, this Tuesday, and after that, I think is the Vince documentary, which uh, my my face might appear in. Uh, that's all. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/slash is the best way to support. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>